0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Joining me here today in studio, a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners down through the years. In fact, many of us get our days started with him as a part of Daybreak. Heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. From Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, Pastor Don Sheely and Pastor Don, a delight to have you in studio with us today. Good to be with you, sir. We've got another special guest that we're going to meet in just a moment, and and before we do, I've asked you to join us today as part of this story, because it's an amazing part of the way that, that I believe God um, fulfills the desire of our heart, and um, and how when he puts a burden on our heart to do something for him... Um, He will support that, he will encourage that, and he will stoke those fires Mm -hmm. until we have completed that which he has called us to do. Perhaps not many people in the audience know of the story of Pastor Don Sheely and Church of the Highlands and the amazing work that's gone up there in San Bruno for the last 50-something years, and how that um, Church of the Highlands and your work there was kind of a pause for a moment, a long moment in in your ministry and in a burden that God had put in your heart in an entirely different direction, even as you have ministered here and led that congregation for so many years. I understand that many years ago, God had put a burden on your heart for the area of, called Borneo Correct. in Southeast Asia. Tell us a bit about that.
2: Well, I think, Craig, the, the whole concept of our church has been missions, but it's been unique in that we have had Instead of maintaining missionaries on the field, we have made our missionary pro- uh, missionary goals selecting projects, and then we would go to a field and and evaluate the project and see how, how it could be done and the cost so forth. And so our congregation over the last 40 years has worked with projects. Years ago, we went to Africa and we uh, saw how easy it would be to build churches out in in uh, Africa. So. We built churches in Africa. We went to India. And um, um, Mark Montaigne, the great missionary there in Calcutta, uh, was a close friend of ours. And so we helped Mark select his site for a big hospital there in Calcutta and became a part of that project. And so we've moved around the world. And I have found that by doing it in projects, you can set a, set a goal. You can get your congregation tuned into that goal and that's what's on their mind. And when it's finished, there's a sense of completion. Whereas many missionary programs within the churches, you send a hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars there over a period of time. Uh, project goal missionary work has gives a sense of satisfaction. And so,
1: there's something to be said too, Pastor Don, about the effectiveness of that. In that, there is a certain expense when it comes to preparing a missionary to go overseas. They have to learn the culture. They have to learn the language. There are expenses involved in there. So many of your projects have been oriented toward training up local missionaries, meaning in-country nationals who don't have language barriers, who don't have to raise huge amounts of money because they're local. And as a result, the level of effectiveness in helping to sort of um, um, naturally see sort of an organic growth of the church in-country uh, has been extremely successful, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, we, for many years, in other words, we select an area of the world and probably concentrate there for two or three years. Some years ago, we selected the Philippine Islands. And down in Mindanao, there was a training center there for the locals for mission work. And so we purchased, I think it was 40 acres, and we planted a rubber plantation with, I think, 1,100 rubber trees now that plantation underwrites all the cost mm-hmm. for operating that training center and so uh the joy of getting a project done brings great excitement but what you do when you move the projects every 3 years you change the focus of the congregation and uh what brought us to borneo craig was we had spent a lot of time working in the philippine islands and we ventured across the uh, border from Malaysia into Indonesia. About 30 minutes in, there was this uh, uh, work of, for orphans, and we, of course, helped very much. We built many of the classrooms and were involved. We sent in a back hole digger and so forth. But one day, we were talking about the mission work there in Borneo, and the uh, builder who had come there to help in Mount Hope told us about Ronnie's ministry deep in the jungle. That fascinated me, I thought, now, go to the middle of the jungle and create a a ministry. So I said, the next time we come, we've got to go find this man in the middle of the jungle. So as a result, uh, we made it there. It was a very, very difficult road to get there. It's about 12 hours of washboard roads. And it was late in the evening. We'd been delayed because of cart problems and so forth. And probably 11 o'clock at night. And we were right in the middle of the jungle, and all of a sudden we came over the top of a hill, and I saw all these streetlights of a city. And it absolutely thrilled me. I thought, how do you build a city in the middle of the jungles? And as soon as we arrived, uh, we, of course, met Ronnie, and we became fascinated. Here is an 800-acre project or more with a goal of a 1,000 children, schools, medical centers, hospitals, airfield. I mean, it's a complete city. And I've always enjoyed working with men who have great minds, who have a great dream. Way back in the uh, 70s, we visited Korea when Dr. Hong, who had a Christian school there, he, would, he had escaped from North Korea. Today he has a Christian school of 16,000 children but a tremendous vision. God can do anything. And when I met Ronnie, I thought to myself, here's a guy that's much like Dr. Hong. He has a vision, and uh, he has a simple faith. And when I walked around that campus that day, and saw about 60 buildings, and realizing that all that building material had to be brought in through that crazy road, and... um, To see it, to see those hundreds and hundreds of children having a marvelous time sitting there in the uh, cafeteria, eating, going to their schools, I thought, now here's a project that we would like to become a part of.
1: Wasn't there part of this, Pastor Don, that was kind of fulfillment of a burden that had been on your heart for many, many years? Correct. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was my understanding that you had a burden to head off to Borneo to do missions work there at the point at which God called you to Church of the Highlands. So it was almost as if God paused that for a moment, gave you another assignment, and then when you completed or fulfilled that work, God said, okay, time to pick up where we left off almost five decades ago.
2: When we entered the ministry, we had a missions burden. So... We were going to act as a fill-in uh, missionary for missionaries who came home on furlough. And so they sent us over to Hong Kong, or they set up our apartment and sent a car over. And we got stuck in a church. So I've had a, a, a detour for 50 years. Mm-hmm. We, um, I always wanted – I love missionary work, but we got stuck in mich- work doing here. And uh, as a result – Had a great place to get stuck, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> but um, – uh, the dream was always been. And then, Craig, there's a, a fascination inside me. Where is the end of the world? Go to the ends of the mm. world. Um, so when we had our Bible college in Ukraine back in 89 when the Iron Curtain mm-hmm. fell, here's Siberia. I thought, I'd like to go to Siberia. And so I talked with a couple of missionaries, and we ended up in Magadan, Siberia, which is as far from uh, as far as you can get in the Russian country, and um, we started a, a Bible college in Magadan, Siberia, and as a result of that, um, that part of the world now has as pastors that are pastoring many of the churches, and so Borneo has always fascinated me because I know that it's one of the uh, most uh, uh, probably the most I'm trying to think of a word where so backward i mean no it's not it's not modern uh,
1: it's a good definition of uttermost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uttermost
2: it's uttermost and so i always wanted to go there and when i heard about ronnie's project i thought here's our opportunity and of course tony being our missionary pastor has been by my side and uh, when i got to ronnie's project i knew we had uh, reached a uh, project that i believe with all my heart, and I say this in Ronnie's presence, this will go down as one of the great missionary endeavors of the, of the century.
1: You know, we understand the concept of Judea and Samaria, and, and hopefully as believers we all have a passion for the Lord to share our faith with others, and in doing so can reach our Judea and venture out occasionally into Samaria. Um, getting that uttermost, though, um, we know we need to pray for that, we know it needs to be reached. But... I wonder how many of us pray and say, Lord, send me to the uttermost that I might fulfill your great commandment and great commission. And Ronnie Habor, who is with us today, and and Ronnie, as we mentioned, um, is the director of Living Waters Village in Borneo. And in fact, there's a brand new book out that both Ronnie and Pastor Don Sheely have co-authored together, telling the story of this miracle zone. In fact, that's the title of the book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. When we come back, we'll travel into the deepest jungle of Borneo, the Miracle Zone, as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to Lifeline, Craig Roberts, along with our special in- studio guest today, Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands, speaker on daybreak, heard weekday mornings at six thirty a.m here on KFAX and with us from Borneo, yes, you heard right, Borneo is Pastor Ronnie Haybor. They are co-authors of a brand new book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Pastor Ronnie, let me bring you into the conversation here. This is a part of the world that is very far-reaching. It is 15, 18 hours by airplane and other means to get into where you're at. You're in a a dense jungle region as part of an island chain in there that I think, um, well, certainly Indonesia's 17,000-something islands in that part of the world. Um, And you're right there in the heart of the jungle and right there in the heart of Dayak country. The same question for you. As God brought... Pastor Don Sheely full circle 50 years later back into the mission field and wound up at the uttermost. What about yourself? What was the attraction, the draw to this part of the world? And folks will hear in a moment an accent that they will know is distinctly not uh, not Dayak.
3: <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, yeah, for me it was, um, we, my wife and I didn't really, uh, we weren't worried where God was going to send us. The outermost parts of the world, well, the world is the world. Um, there are some places that are near, some places that are far, some places that are the uttermost parts. But for us, it was just like, God, where, wherever you want us to go, wherever you want us to send us, we'll go. And uh, a door opened up in, in Borneo, and um, uh, we, I didn't even know really where Borneo was. Um, in fact, uh, many years, people used to call me the wild man from Borneo, And I don't know whether you have heard of this this term, but it actually is to do with the the orangutan. You know, the orangutan is the wild man of Borneo, and there are some other people that have been named uh, that as well, but uh, uh, because I was so passionate for God, they used to call me the wild man from Borneo, but I had no idea where Borneo was until uh, God sent us there, in a way. And uh, I went there on my own first with somebody, not with my wife, but just to do some uh, um, really for my friend who had a passion for one of the islands in Indonesia. Uh, but um, God told us in an all-night prayer meeting to go to Borneo as well. And we thought uh, this other friend of mine had had to see uh, this place or maybe he has to meet people to get his visa that way or whatever. But um, anyway, w- when we ended up in Borneo first, um, I just was so excited. My heart raced like anything and I just knew that it was it was like I uh, the feeling, you know, you just arrived home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just knew that God was calling us there. But I didn't tell anything uh, to anybody until I got home and I told my wife, I said, you know, darling, I really believe God is calling us to Borneo. She goes bags. Yeah, she goes, <laughs> right. Well, when are we going? So... Um, so yeah, that's where it all started. This so, is
1: not this is not an easy mission field to work in. I mean, beyond the conditions, as as Pastor Don Sheely mentioned, we're talking about in the middle of the jungle. We're not in developed areas. Yeah. We're talking about literally what needs to be brought in has to be brought in by mule, practically. Yeah. And you're working in an area of the world that, uh, quite frankly, is very hostile to the message of the gospel.
3: Yeah. So so it's probably just as well God doesn't sort of fill you in and all those things that you know time, all those yes. things before <laughs> yeah. and you see because I think. I think if I'd known now, if God would have sent me a letter from heaven, you know, 20 something years ago, uh, before we left, and would and would have said that uh, this is all, this is where I'm going to place you, and I'm going to take you to Borneo, and you're going to be in a wild area there, and you're going to eat do- dog and rat, and going to me- throw you in prison for a while, and you're going to do this and this and this. Uh, I think I would have sort of said, God, um, I think you should call somebody else. Well, I don't think I'm cut out for this sort of thing. Yeah, you know? Paul on the I, I would have... Road might have said the same <laughs> yeah. thing. I, I don't think yeah. I'm yeah. So I, right. I, I think I would have run the other way like Jonah. So just mm-hmm. as well, God doesn't show you everything. But you, you've got to put your trust in God. And if God says to go, then you are to go. Even if it doesn't make sense and even though it is the ends of the earth and even though it's as rough as anything, um, God is always there. I found I found that over the years that that uh, God has never promised, he's never sort of said that you never ever will have any problems in your life, right, if you become a Christian, but he has said that he will always be with you. And we've always experienced God's presence with us, no matter where we were and what dangerous situation we were in or what terrible situation we were in, God was always there with us to get us out of there. And uh
1: Some listening might say, but... but Ronnie, there had to been a moment when you paused. I mean you you had a young family. Now, your kids are all grown now and, and, and some attending university, but you, you had a young family at the time to pick up, leave Australia. You're generally in the same part of the world, but you're moving into significantly more hostile territory than uh, downtown Sydney way. Yeah,
3: for sure.
1: Um, you're going into an area that hasn't been ventured into by many. You're going there with the purpose of establishing what ultimately becomes a massive orphanage and school, a, a lighthouse, really, in that part of the world. Um, and, of course, you have no idea what God's end plan is going to be. Was there a moment when you paused and said, Lord, do you really? I mean,
3: yeah.
1: Borneo, really? Well, what For about she, my family? Uh, What's my wife going to think? Oh, absolutely, about? absolutely.
3: Before I, we left to Borneo, God, I, I'll never forget, I was in my bedroom and— uh, and um, God said to me in my bedroom, He said, um, "Are you are you prepared to give up everything? Are you really prepared? Now, you think about this. Are you really prepared to give up everything As, before you go? You you need to be prepared to give up everything." And I said, "I'm I'm prepared. I'm prepared to give up everything. I mean, you know, we, we already gave up our, our our good jobs that we had, and we we gave up our house, we all our money that we had. We we gave all that up." And I said, so I'm prepared. And then he goes, but are you really prepared? Think about it now. Are you really prepared to give up everything? So I said again, I'm prepared. And he goes, are you prepared to give up your family? Mm. And I said, what do you mean? I mean, my first wife died in a car accident years before, and uh, I almost lost my two older children in that car accident, but they pulled through miraculously, but my wife died. And she'd just become a Christian, so we had sheer hell for eight years when I became a Christian until she she uh, uh came to the lord so and then finally she become a christian and then and then God takes her home and then so I said to him, "What do you mean, God? I mean you already have one of my wives. do you want my other one as well? you know i mean i don 't understand and uh but he said again, "Are you really prepared to give up even your family and i I thought about this really hard, and uh, I just all of a sudden started to cry and weep and because I knew that God meant, you know, look, I'm sending you there, but you need, you need to be prepared to give up your family. And uh, so I cried and cried, and I said eventually, I said, yes, yes, I'm even prepared to give up my wife and my children as a result. So that didn't mean to say that I'm going to lose my wife and kids, but the possibility is there. Somebody said to me before in our church, before we left, Brother Ronnie, you know, I think you're a real idiot, I said, oh, gee, thanks, thanks appreciate the lot of the guess. confidence. <laughs> he said, no. He said, look. He said that you go over there. That's you know to this this primitive country over there. He said uh, where there's still cannibals, which are not, but people still eat, you know, kill people and eat some of their meat and that. But they're not cannibals. they that's just they do that as a part of their ritual. But um, he said, you know that that you go over there and that you might be eaten up by these people, or and if you're not going to be eaten up, that you'll then maybe die of malaria or typhoid or, or uh, hepatitis or, or any of the diseases that float around there. And he says, you know, that you go, that's, that's one thing, but you take your family with you, you know, what sort of a man are you? And I, and I said to the guy, I said, you know, gee, thanks for your encouragement, you know, but, <laughs> you, you know, you're right. There are 100 and, and so many uh, reasons why we shouldn't go, all the things that you just said, and I said I can add a whole lot of extra to it. I said, but you forget one thing. He said to go. And even though it doesn't make sense, and even though we know it's dangerous, and even though we know, you know, we're gonna, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be all sorts of things there, I said he said to go. So, you know, you've got two options. Isn't
1: it amazing how we will get caught up on all of the reasons not to do something, not to be obedient, not to f- follow through on what God has called us to do?
3: Yeah, but this is And we'll if- look
1: right past the one reason why we should… And I guess at the end of the day, in this case, even though there's a laundry list of all of the logical reasons why uprooting your young family and taking them lock, stock, and barrel into the middle of the jungle to do a ministry down there was a bad idea. But the one important thing as to why you should is because he said so.
3: Yes, and it, and he said so. So you've got two options. You either obey or you disobey. And if you even if you know... Look, the day that we ask Jesus to come into our lives is really the day that we surrender everything over to Him. I mean, we say it, but do we actually mean it? And then we then yeah. we negotiate with yeah. God about what you, we want to take back. Yeah, you cannot. You either serve God full on or not at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. You cannot give Him a list. Uh, you know, I'll serve You, but on my conditions. We serve Him. We we surrender everything over to Him because He bought our lives, and so He bought my wife and my children as well. So I got to be able to trust Him that. He's going to be there with us and he'll look after us. And if my wife has to be sacrificed or my kids or myself, you know, then so be it. I believe that nothing happens to a, a Christian who's doing the will of God without his permission. That doesn't mean to say nothing happens to the person, but it means that, that God decides the last day. You know, I get kids now that live with us. We've got 500 children now at our place. And sometimes they say, Dad, you know, they'll run up to me and say, pa, you know, I had a dream last night that they, they killed you, they shot you. And I said, you know, darling, don't, don't worry about that. And I said, nobody's going to shoot me without his permission. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I won't be shot, but I'm just saying without God's permission, he decides when it's my last day. Not, not the enemy, not somebody else. So you don't have to worry about that.
1: Well, too. if you survey all of this and keep it in, in proper perspective, at the end of the day, you know, Paul said it very well. What's the worst that can happen? To be absent... From the bodies to be present with the Lord. Yeah. What more can they, what worse thing can they do to me but assure me that I'm going to meet my Savior so much sooner? Yeah. That's for the believer not such a bad proposition, is it? Amen. When we come back, a look at the amazing work that God is doing in this part of the world that some thought had been forsaken. I'm Craig Roberts, our special guest today, Pastor Don Shealy, speaker on Daybreak weekday mornings at 6.30 here on KFAX, and Ronnie Haybor, together co-authors of a new book, Miracle Zone, in the jungles of Borneo. We'll be back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to this special edition of Lifeline. With me today in studio is a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners. He's Pastor Donald Sheely, host of Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX, and Ronnie Haybor. Together, Pastor Sheely and Ronnie Habor have written this exciting new book called Miracle Zone in the jungles of Borneo. Talk to us about the work down there. Um, you got into that part of the world, and a lot of this is really bootstraps-up type of ministry. You, you just can't pick up the phone and say, send me and have it delivered overnight, can you?
3: Well, it's getting better now, actually. Uh, we're there now 20 years, and uh, 12 years we've got this ministry that we're doing now. We've started up a num- number of ministries over the years, but this one is now about 12 years. And so we've seen from our terrible roads going there that the roads are improving slightly, uh, for a while, at least, anyway, and before they get bad again. But um, and uh, one monsoon season will fix that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, like we just just uh, recently, we we got a telephone telecom mast uh, up the road there, a couple of kilometres up the road, and so now we have signal there with our handphones. We no longer have to have a special dish pointed to somewhere, you know, with a piece of wire and and finally jump up and down when we get do get a signal. We actually can get a signal now. So. Uh, things are moving on uh, sometimes not for not, not for better you know sometimes it 's uh, more detrimental than anything else, but yeah. uh, uh, we realize that the, the world is moving rapidly into these places as well, uh, looking for uh, all sorts of things, and the tribal people are then introduced to all sorts of things and it 's going actually we 're seeing that it, it sometimes is uh, going too fast and it has devastating uh, results on the people so.
1: Um, the, the encroachment of the world on the end of the world, so mm. to speak, or, yeah. or the farthest to reach of the world, I should say, yeah. and all of that means Does that give you a, a sense of urgency, not only because of that encroachment.
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That that it's you know you, I get to sometimes to uh, tribes there so deep in the jungle, and uh, I'll never forget. Uh, years ago, we I drove for three hours. I Went in the speedboat for seven hours and I walked for nine hours to get to this tribe. And then finally, I get down into the valley and I see all these, all these huts there. And then uh, as, I, as I come into this village, I see this guy way up in the canopy of the trees there. And I thought, surely this is not correct what I'm seeing, you know. But the guy was actually SMSing on a phone. I mean, he had barely any clothes to wear. He didn't have any shoes to wear. I mean, the kids were, um, you know, hu- were hungry, you could tell. But the guy had a handphone up there and he was having a signal up there way up 30, 40 meters in the tree and he could get a signal and he was texting texting there. So (laughs) (laughs) I thought, you've got to be joking, you know. But but, um, I realized then this is a whole new world that we are um, approaching and uh, that we need to get the gospel to these people before the world gets to them, you know. You'll see a photo of Michael Jackson and a can of Coca-Cola there, but... The, they don't know about the Lord Jesus yet, you know. And you think, oh my goodness! You know, so for us, it's it's important. And like these, you know, these uh, texting messages and these phones, you know, one way you can say, well, well, it opens a, ho- a whole new world for them. It's a good thing. It is a good thing in some ways, but it brings a lot of garbage in there as well, like pornography and all sorts of stuff has brought in into that place there, and it's it's devastating for uh, a lot of the tribes.
1: Talk to us about. Disseminating the message. You're going into an area where there's cultural chasms that you have to cross, linguistic ones. Um, And then, of course, you've got the the influence of Islam all around you kind of pressing in. Give us a snapshot. People wonder, well, what's it like to do ministry down there? Aside from the fact that you're dealing with difficult conditions— um, in terms of the spiritual conditions, what does that look like?
3: Well, we basically um, uh, the tribal people there are, uh, um, are animistic, so we don't we really don't deal much with uh, uh, Muslims. We do have Muslims living around us, but when you go deep into the jungle areas, you won't come across hardly any Muslims. They're mainly uh, animists, and so animists are people who believe in spirits and all sorts of things and trees and objects and all sorts of things. So. Um, and then every tribe has their own witch doctor, and the witch doctor lords it over the people. Th- these are the people. It is not the, the tribal chief that has the most power; it's the witch doctor, definitely, who has the most power, and he lords it over these people. And the people are extremely fearful of these these uh, uh, witch doctors, and um, so uh, when you come into a place like that, of course, um, uh, you're a threat to somebody like that with authority. And uh, but but I've noticed that over the years that God. Um, uh, always comes up with a brilliant way of getting to the tri- uh, to the to the witch doctor, and uh, it's usually through a power encounter. You know, you can you can talk until you're blue in the face about Jesus Christ and all that sort of thing. A witch doctor ain't going to buy any of that. But if you, if he can see the power of God upon your life and through you, that God uses you as you pray for people, as you as you speak into people's lives, and uh, it um, and and he can see the power of God. Then he's blown away, and and then he's prepared to listen because you have something that he doesn't have. He has power, and I've seen some of these witch doctors with incredible power. But you know, he, uh, I, we always say, but our goddess is much greater, much more powerful than any other witch doctor. And uh, I'll just give you give you an example. We had this little girl that we came into a village, and she had meningitis, and um, already four days she was absolutely uh, wrecked she, she couldn't walk anymore she couldn't talk anymore she was about nine or ten years old and uh, she was just a wreck uh, dehydrated like anything and uh, uh, we came in and we just uh, uh, saw her and we, knie- we knew that she needed a doctor but we put our hands on her and we just said little girl in the name of Jesus be healed that's it and she, this little girl got healed and the witch doctor was completely blown away and he, he was so upset he was in a way upset but he was so amazed and he was upset because he couldn't do – because people come to him to, for healing and uh, sometimes they actually get healed. That's so why I say witch doctors have some power. Sometimes can cause a fire just to happen just like that. He would just snap his fingers in a fire you know, that I'm blown away at what? Whoa, I've never seen this happen before uh, and things like that. So people go to the witch doctor and pay this man whatever he wants in order to get a healing. But when you come in there and you override that power that he has, you know, that Jesus Christ overrides that power, then he's willing
1: to listen. Pastor Sheely, this is really powers and principalities in high places. Oh, yes. This mm-hmm. is spiritual warfare. Correct. The likes of which many Western Christians don't really understand, do they?
2: No, I think, you know, living here in the Western world, most of us do not understand how intense the spiritual powers are in some of these countries. And, um, you know, you really have to have a touch of God on your life as Ronnie has explained, expressed, because to deal with the spiritual issues, when you walk into you, you can actually feel, you feel demonic powers present. And, um, so the, the challenge, uh, If a person went there just to be a professional missionary, he'd be gone in a few days. But to go there with a burden and a touch of God on your life, as Ronnie has said, and you can see God at work in the lives of these people, um, it's an experience that, that you can't explain.
1: And this is not casual Christianity. This is not cultural Christianity. This is... I may lose my life because of who I name as Lord and Savior, Christianity. Absolutely. This is the battle for hearts and minds between goodness and evil and dark and light and the enemy himself and very God himself. This is that battle being played out right in front of our very eyes. Very much so.
2: And I think Ronnie has, in a number of situations where he's had to deal with we even with children who have been possessed and uh, they have their curses that have been placed upon them. And, uh, but to deal with intense spiritual concerns, and I've been in the ministry for a number of years, and maybe only once or twice have I had to deal with intense demonic involvement. But they're in the jungle. That's where they live with.
1: And it really puts a perspective on all that we see in the New Testament. And I think as much as there are some Christians in the West, Ronnie, that would look at the book of Acts, for example, as a history book and not realize that, yes, while it does give an account for what happened in the early church, in the early days of the establishment of the body of believers following Christ's resurrection, that it is also demonstrative of what real, authentic Christianity is all about, that we hear about miracles of Mm -hmm. demons being cast out or the blind scene or the lame walking in, and we think, well, wasn't it nice that God used to do those things? And we don't realize that that is a part of God's world functioning every single day. Oh, absolutely. And that he uses these demonstrations of power Largely, as we see again throughout the book of Acts, amazing to see almost every time that somebody was healed. Then word spread about, and everybody in the village came to Christ. Uh, The thousands uh, were then led to see him as uh, not just a good man who walked the earth, but rather as truly being God himself. If you've just tuned in, our conversation today with Pastor Don Sheely, host of Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 here on KFAX, and Ronnie Haybor, together co-authors of a new book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. When we come back, we thought God had gotten out of the miracle business. The difference between miracles in the West versus what God is doing overseas. As this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our in-studio guest today, Pastor Don Sheely, host of Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. here on KFAX, and Ronnie Haybor. Together, they're co-authors of an exciting new book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Ronnie, I'm curious. We certainly see examples throughout the entirety of New Testament teaching, certainly in the book of Acts, as a snapshot of what God was doing in the first century church, Miracles were quite commonplace. We don't hear about miracles as often in the West anymore, but quite often we do hear from missionaries like yourself that come back with amazing miracles of how God is doing things very reminiscent of the first century church to this very day. Help us understand more about this difference between how God works in the West versus, so often, the rest of the world.
3: See, today I think we we don't people saying to me, you know, why does God do miracles there and not here anymore in the West, you know? And I said, well, he does, but we don't expect it anymore here. Nobody expects it anymore. Very few expect it here today. You know, uh, we pray and we hope that God heals our prayers and answers them. But really, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm here. If you look here in the West, I mean, there are some, uh, the, the, um, the enemy is working very hard here as well. And But I believe there's, there still is a distinction between between where where um, uh, the West has been living or riding on the blessings of our forefathers, you know, and I think that you know the hand of God is and the blessings of the Lord are on our country, even though there 's lots of places where there are people that need to be delivered as well for sure here in this country as well in australia and in Europe, but um, you can see the hand of God in this place in a much different way than there are in those sort of places, and those sort of places they haven 't had a a history of uh, Christianity and so uh, the enemys had uh, his control over the people there for all that time and he, he's not going to just let anybody just barge in there and let uh, uh, you know um, uh, rescue people from from his grip so he'll he'll throw whatever he can in order to be able to to get rid of you over there that's why you need to know who you are in Christ you need to know that that you have uh, God's authority and power his authority and power over the enemy. And so otherwise you should not go to places like that. I've been in places there that when you, you walk into a region and just, just like Pastor Sheely said, you know, you just sense a blanket of evilness over you. We start, we tried to plant churches in certain areas for years and years and could never ever get a breakthrough there because this incredible presence of evil was just constantly there. I remember one day sleeping in this uh, hut and uh, uh, under a mosquito net and um, at night I just woke up in a fright because somebody was choking me with a hand, a hand gripped on my, on my throat and choking me, and I woke up in a fright, and I couldn't breathe. And uh, uh, there was nobody there, but there was this, like, this hand on my throat, and I yelled out uh, uh, eventually. I tried to yell, I couldn't, but then eventually I yelled at Jesus. And as soon as I said Jesus, the grip let go, and I just knew, man, this is real stuff here. And, uh, but eventually after years in that place, in that one particular place where I was, uh, we tried to plant the church for years It could never God brought this young fella to us and uh, as a result of this young fellow getting saved getting healed and saved in the power of God and uh, he was able with me to go back to his village and speak to his tribe and uh, the whole tribe uh, virtually the whole tribe got saved as a result of him and if you go back there now there is a, this open heaven there like this blanket of evilness is completely gone and this, this openness there and uh, uh, even his brother who was such a uh, um, figure in the occult there he's now the pastor of the church yes. such an incredible change as a result of God coming in there and uh, ministering there to the people and setting them free
1: well, you don't just serve in the mission field this is really a battlefield isn't it oh
3: absolutely a battlefield yes and you but we're, we're, ha- let's face it I mean the battlefield is everywhere, everywhere right? absolutely. Uh, not just there but, and it, but
1: it's a picture of the microcosm of the, of the depth of the battle of what is at stake here What Christ died for, and the fact that the enemy is not pleased with turning us over easily, Mm. uh, that there is a cost that has to be counted. That I think, unfortunately, few Western Christians are really willing to count, as you did, as you talked about what do I have to potentially give up here in making this decision to move my family to the jungles of Borneo to, to engage in this work down there, and yet having the perspective to understand that this is all about God's work and what he is doing so that that promise that his word would not go out and return to him void but literally reach the uttermost parts of the earth, that someday every nation, tribe, and tongue would bow and recognize
2: Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, one of the thrilling things, Greg, is when you visit the uh, orphanage there and you see these 500 children and worship, you can't help but weep to know that they came out of homes that were, uh, maybe their own father was a witch doctor, mm-hmm. but to see they come to an environment where Christ's love is expressed and his word is taught, and to see the joy of Jesus on their little faces, you, you just it's an amazing experience. And to to see the work of God take place in the lives of these little ones.
1: not only, Pastor Sheely, transformative in the terms of the lives of these children, many of whom are orphans coming out of bad circumstances, as Pastor mentioned, but haven't you seen, uh, Ronnie, God give you some tremendous grace and favor throughout that region and dealing with the authorities and and your neighbors and so forth?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Like I always say, there's there's a group of people that hate you no matter what, you know, whatever you do, but there's uh, definitely uh, a lot of people that respect you highly because of what you're doing. And they see now themselves. In the beginning, they were used to be a little bit suspicious. You know, why are you here? Are you coming? There must to get, be an agenda. Yeah are, you, yeah. are you coming to rob us from our gold and our, our wood and stuff like that? But um, now that they see that so many kids are coming from that nobody wants, and that we want them, and and that you know they come with a lot of baggage to our place, and uh, and then to see them set free and to enjoy life and to be, smile again and to and to be able to play like a kid is allowed, to should play, and uh, not be burdened with uh, uh, what they've had to put up with. I just recently had in one of our services there. You know, um, I just felt that the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, um, just ask the kids. You know, who, who, who? I said to all the children, I said, who of you have a father or a mother who is or was a witch doctor in the tribe? And a number of kids put up their hands. I said, you know, why don't you come forward? I said, oh, we really want to pray for you. So just go and stand over there. And then I said, and who has a um, grandmother or grandfather who was a witch doctor or uh, are still witch doctors today? And so a lot of kids put up their hands and I said, come over forward. And said, so we're going to pray for you. And then out of them, I said, which one of you uh, was to be the next witch doctor uh, to be passed on from your father, grandfather and to father and to you? And a number of kids put up their hands. And I realized then, my goodness, you know, God has brought these kids from witch doctors to our place of all places so that they can be set free so that this curse can be broken over their lives so they no longer have to be part of this demonic ritual so that they can enjoy a life set free from all that and uh, that they can enjoy a life and be used by God. God's got a wonderful plan and purpose for them. One of the girls came up to me. She said, Dad, she goes, I don't think Jesus can save me. I said, why do you say that? She goes, because I've already been promised to the spirit world by the witch doctor when I was little. I was already uh, sacrificed, uh, in, in, in other words, to this uh, witch doctor. I said, oh, no. I said, no, 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 no. I said, Jesus brought you here for the very reason to set you free from this. I said, you are a child of the Most High God, and uh, God wants to set you free from this. So we prayed for her, and we uh, asked the Lord to break this curse over her life, and she just started to cry. And I, we just knew she was set free. She had a smile from ear to ear, and she just glorified God, that she was now uh, a child, a, a new creation and a child of God and, and that she knew that God had a plan and a purpose for her life. Another young fellow came up to me and goes, Dad, he said, you know, my father is a witch doctor. And uh, and he said, uh, when, uh, uh, years ago in the village, he said, um, somebody walked into our village, a guy, and the, and my father said, he's an enemy. And so he killed him in full view of everybody. Killed him there and uh, then uh, brought the man in the middle of the village put him in a barrel of water, stuck a fire under it, and in full view of everybody, everybody had to come out and watch and view this, even the 2-year-olds, the 4-year-olds, the 12-year-olds, everybody had to view this man being boiled there in the middle of the village. And then he said, now once the man was boiled, he said, and now you eat some of his meat. And uh, so everybody had to participate. They call that, it's uh, be- a real demonic ritual, You, ha- if you eat a bit of the meat of the, your enemy and drink some of their blood that you then become supernaturally stronger than your enemy they call that tzakti. so here everybody had to participate in eating some of this man and then I thought my goodness you know some of these kids you would never ever ever would expect you know when you look at them because they look so uh, so good on the outside and so handsome and so beautiful on the outside and so, so um, angelic innocent you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and yet they've been through so many things and you think oh God, you know, I am so grateful that you called us to go to this place so many years ago to prepare a place here so these kids could be coming to this place so they can be set free from all this stuff, you know. I am just so excited. And and that's why, you know, we often, my wife and I often say, you know, it, God didn't just bring us here. God brought the body of Christ here. You know, and that's why I'm so blessed that we that we met up with uh, Pastor Sheely and, and with uh, Pastor Tony and uh, through that You know, they came to our place and and they've been this ministry that we have there as much theirs as it is ours and, and other people from around the world. And we're so blessed to get so many volunteers come from around the world to help us for a couple of weeks, a couple of months each year and just so awesome to see that. But to see, you know, it's so rewarding to see all these young people, these kids, young people set free. And now they're on fire for God. They just love the Lord their God. And they go out to their own tribes now with this gospel message of salvation. And they share it with their uh, grandparents and with their parents or their uncles or aunts or cousins or whatever. We just had a couple of girls come back again. And they were the ones that uh, said they had wonderful opportunities to be able to share this with their grandparents, you know, who were just absolutely dumbfounded at this, this God that they were talking about. And uh, years ago, I said to uh the other day, I Said a couple of years ago, we had the girls go home for um, uh, their um, school break and uh, they still had a mother or a father. And uh, when they came back, um, two weeks later, they brought the tribal chief with them. And from a distance I could see them coming and I thought, the tribal chief didn't look like a very happy man. And uh, he approached me and I thought, oh my goodness, he doesn't look happy. And he walked right up to my face and he said to me, what have you done with my girls? And I said, what? I, what are you talking Did something happen on the way to the village or something? Because you know, I didn't know what he was talking about. And he says, no, he said, nothing happened on the way. He said, but I think this is something to do with your God. I said, ah, yes, because I told my girls, you're going home now, but make sure you don't go and fit into the rituals, go back into the rituals that they're doing. I said, but you stand firm on the word of God and that you ask God for opportunities to be able to share the gospel message. And then the tribal chief said to me, he said, you know, I, he said, uh, would you mind, please, he said, to bring somebody back with me mm-hmm. to my village and share this, what you, what you told my girls, to share it with the rest of the people, he said, because I want all my people to be like them. And I thought, whoa, that was just so awesome to hear that, you know, that our girls had the guts, the courage to witness to these people. And these people, they knew these girls, but they saw that there was such an incredible change in these girls now. They weren't the same anymore as when they left that village to go to our place. They are now totally different. So,
1: That multi-generational fruit yeah. has the capacity to literally transform that entire region, doesn't absolutely,
3: it? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: And you're seeing a lot of and this seen too, that. aren't
3: you? We've got kids now. Some of our boys are now in government positions. Some of our boys are in companies now. And uh, some companies want uh, young people from our, our place because they know they're honest, they're loyal hard workers, you know, and and that you can trust in them.
1: If you've just tuned in, our conversation today with Ronnie Haybor and Pastor Don Sheely. Pastor Don, of course, a familiar voice here on KFAX. He's the speaker on Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Together, they're authors of this exciting new book, Miracle Zone, in the jungles of Borneo. We'll take a brief time out, and when we come back a look at the amazing way in which the Church of the West is integrating in a challenging and dynamic way with the Church in the East. That and much more as this edition of Lifeline continues